Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Friends as uh, the Nietzsche of cat dogs. <laughs> Does everyone actually know like all these philosophers, like Nietzsche? Like I, I, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know if everyone actually knows. Did have you ever read any Nietzsche, Eddie? Yeah, yeah. In college, you had yeah. to for some for Damn. some classes. Yeah, I knew. I knew. I was going out on a ledge here, being like, actually, no one knows this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one's. All philosophy is fake. Uh, here's the thing. You know how people say like, oh yeah, that's philosophy 101. Like, yeah, you do have to take philosophy 101 to know that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. and if you didn't have to take that in community college, you might not have read that. Weirdly, I read more Nietzsche in a uh, fucking screenwriting class. Really. Yeah, just about like, I, honestly, it was a stupid assignment. I don't even want to. I don't even want to think about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the philosophy one hundred and one definitely uh, helped me understand references people made to philosophers, but definitely didn't inform my worldview or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I'm just I'm trying to live my own philosophies. You know what I mean? Just uh, no no writing, no reading. Just you know, just live. Fuck live the it. influences. <laughs> all that all that's noise. I don't want that to get in my head. Mess up my own personal philosophies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't. That's that's nonsense. That's junk. Get it out of here. Well, everyone is a philosopher if you think about it. Just the way you live, your style. Like if you if you consider yourself like, oh, I'm kind of a niche Nietzschean. I'm kind of a Hegelian. Uh, you know, it's like you're just like copying someone else's lifestyle. You're basically just like swagger jacking. You know, like I wouldn't say I'm a Malcolmian. Uh, you know, like Malcolmian. I <laughs> I subscribe to my own philosophy. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people running around making Malcomian arguments online, and I'm like, "Look, I get that you study from the master, but it doesn't really work when you do it. You gotta, you gotta adapt your own philosophy." We need to get that phrase off the ground, you know, Malcomian or whatever. You know, really get people. Saying. You not being able to pronounce it's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> God, these these Malcomian laws are really just oppressing us. Well, you know. I, if if there were to be a Malcolmian philosophy, it is that pronunciation is, you know, doesn't matter. Obviously, that that would be pretty. Uh, Trust pretty me, hard. buddy. <laughs> Two hundred and seventy-one episodes into this podcast, I think people have either subscribed to that philosophy or unsubscribed because. Of it. <laughs> Uh, welcome to Extended Clip. It is episode two hundred and seventy-one, and I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. As we welcome JT back to the stew, it's been a little while because of the inclement weather situation, but uh, we're finally back in the new, hopefully permanent Philadelphia studio. Hopefully we're not kind of doing all these different makeshift studios all the time, and I think think we're starting to figure it out. Malcolm, how do you like the, how do you like the new digs from the webcam? I I like it, because every time I, you know, we get on Zoom, I get a new angle of your place, you know what I mean? So (laughs) I feel like I've finally seen it all. I've gotten the full virtual tour. I'm I'm sizing up your oven, you know what I mean? I'm I'm looking at... uh, I'm looking at uh, your cabinets and your shelves. You know what I mean. This is this is the stuff people want. Podcaster cribs. So I'm happy to see it. Hey, you don't be surprised if I complete the tour later. You know, give you a Facetime call from the bathroom. The bathroom. The 
latrine. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd, I'd welcome it. I'd welcome it. You, you know me, I, when you're on FaceTime, I'm like, you're like, oh, I'm going to go. You, you press mute when you're in the bathroom. I'm like, there's no need, man. We're familiar. You know, we. Yeah. I've heard water <laughs> streams before. It's not, you know, it's nothing crazy. <laughs> I've heard water streams before. I remember one time my mom called me and I was in the bathroom and she, I just picked up and without even saying hello, she just like started unloading for like two minutes straight. Right. Mm-hmm. And then right when I say anything back, she cuts me off. She's like, wait. Are you in the bathroom? Your voice sounds all echoey. Like, look, we've been on the phone for like three minutes at this point. You know, I'm just listening. <laughs> you just got to respond with a flush. Be like, yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's, by the way, we need to, next time we have a call in show, I need to have a sound effect of a toilet flush queued up for when I hang up on people. <laughs> Uh, that's going to be the new thing going forward next time we do a WCLP, which hopefully is in the near future. Um, but anyway, today's episode is on Miami Blues. This is a 1990 film by George Armitage. Um, and Malcolm, you, you brought this one to the table. Why was it this uh, this super, super, super late 80s, so late 80s that it's actually 1990 uh neo noir with our f- old buddy alec baldwin well i mean it's alec baldwin's going through a tough time right now with uh mm. i think he just got incarcerated probably not incarcerated probably a sentence you know there was i think he was accused or I think the word guilty. you're looking for is defenestrated defenestrated what is what does that mean Mm. It actually means uh, getting thrown out a window. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, I like that's... that better than incarcerated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that you're thinking of Henry Rollins. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, it's just a free Alec Baldwin is the sentiment, and this might this might be his finest hour, right? Um, or uh, one of them, at least, especially especially in the cinematic realm, mm-hmm. and also you know it's a. Uh, in addition to that, you know, it's winter time. Everyone, you guys are, you know, enduring the snow. I'm enduring the rain. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. uh, Miami, you know, it's nice and sunny. So I thought we'd pick a nice, sunny, bright movie just to remind us, you know, uh, the, of the light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? Just to give ourselves a little vacation. If Florida is the light at the end of the tunnel, I... <laughs> I'm getting off the bus now. Wait, I'm, this isn't an aspirational movie. It's not like a like <laughs> no. a Scarface poster on the wall type movie. I thought uh, we might have different reads. Well, it does nah. seem like Alec Baldwin's character has seen Scarface. I'll grant you that. <laughs> uh, JT, had you seen this movie before? Uh, no, but like very early on, I like. I feel like there was a line, like the line, fifty dollars for a suck. Was like precisely when I knew I was tapped in. Like that's the we're the movie and I were on the same wavelength. Might be worth a suck. Is that what you're getting for a suck these days? Fifty bucks. Christ. When I you hear something like that, it just like woke. Like I mean, I was I was paying attention, but that's like that's a cup of coffee right there. That line. Um no, yeah, I, I hadn't seen it. Um, I don't know, just like the young Baldwin, all, always exciting. I know this is a uh, is it Charles Wilford 
the guy who wrote Cockfighter and yeah. also just an author I haven't read any books by, but am generally curious about because he worked. Definitely he, fits into that, like, you know, uh, second half of the 20th century pulp crime writer. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. It's a fun, like, pulpy milieu. And uh, yeah, no, I was a huge fan of this. Yeah, I, I saw some reviews that compared the writing uh, of the source material and just the source material in the movie in general to like Elmore Leonard or something like that, like George V. Higgins, but for Florida instead of Boston, you know, those kind of writers. And so it does have that novelistic feel to it a little bit, too. It's like a it's a film that isn't really structured the way that a normal thriller would be. It has a lot of asides and just kind of, you know, springs into action when it wants to and then goes back to these slower more dark comedy scenes and uh I, I i find that really a compelling approach for it being seemingly like an exploitation movie it's actually kind of somewhere in between like it has somewhat more lofty aspirations and is tongue-in-cheek with its sleaziness and uh yeah it's a it's a very interesting object for that matter because it became a cult movie and like i wasn't sure if it became a cult movie for like sleaze heads or like ironic kind of people or you know people who are really into like crime literature you know like it has it could appeal to any of those types of people i feel like and uh yeah i, I think it's great malcolm you're right about it being alec baldwin's peak in cinema at least because we all know his his true peak is yeah. uh, in 30 in 30 yeah. rock is yeah. just one of the great performances of all time. No, it's it's interesting, you know, with the Baldwin performances because, yeah, obviously 30 Rock is his finest moment. And you think about this and like Married to the Mob, another performance I, I, I think is very good by him. It is, it, he is like, he's he, his strongest suits are kind of as a comedic actor. You know, even though yeah. this this movie is a comic, but it's like, you know, he's doing action stuff here too, but I don't know. It's, he's kind of underutilized in, in, in that sense. And, you know, great instincts by Demi and, uh, Armitage to cast him in a comedy. I guess, uh, the guy who wrote this script, he originally pitched it to Demi, but, um, I guess Demi was friends with Armitage and he didn't really work that much in the eighties. So yeah, he, he of... hadn't made a movie in over 10 years. He, I don't think Armitage made a single movie in the eighties. Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, Demi doing his friend a solid and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, it's, it's very apt for you to say this is like the last eighties movie. Cause it seems like Armitage sp spent the whole eighties soaking in the culture, you know what I mean? Didn't yeah. really get an opportunity or whatever, you know, I don't know how, how it worked, but didn't really get an opportunity to make his own film. And then 1990 comes and he gets to reflect on all of that in this movie. And I, I think it's all the more better for it in a way. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting way to frame it for sure. And also like, uh, so Demi turned it down, but he also hooked up Armitage with his regular cinematographer, Tak Fujimoto, who does a stellar job on this. I mean, whatever warm film stocks they were using combined with the classic, like, pastel Miami stuff, I mean, that first apartment you get into is like, or not apartment, that first hotel room you get into is like, it, it could be like a parody of what Miami looked like. It's that perfect pastel pink and purple, you know, and uh, it's just so over the top, but also indulging in all of that excess in such an interesting way. 
Um, I also love, you know, it's uh, it's very over the top, as we said, as we open with the needle drop of spirit in the sky as uh, Baldwin's up in the plane about to descend on Miami and, you know, forge a new identity and kill a Hare Krishna by bending his arm back <laughs> too hard. <laughs> Damn, that's, you know, that's... It's a real tough guy shit, you know, break someone's yeah. wrist and they, they just immediately die. You know what I mean? It's a, <laughs> but uh, I, I love that opening. It's, it's the classic. I think I was mentioning this uh, when we did, fuck, I can't remember. We did a movie where someone arrived on a bus and I was like, I some love. Some came what, running. Some came running. There we go. And uh, I love, I do love the intro of just a character arriving to town, whether it be bus plane train you know car and this is one of the great ones where we get baldwin's very expressive face out the airplane window and it definitely sets the tone for the acting style he's doing throughout the movie because this is kind of a master class in mugging with alec baldwin and all the 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 strained faces you know he makes and i don't know i I feel like he sometimes that could be I don't know. It could be a risk. Sometimes you don't hit that mark as an actor, but I think with, you know, given the subject matter and the colorful nature of the movie, I feel like he fits right in with his uh, super expressive faces. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, there's, there's so many parts of it that work like the script. I feel like a very, like not, uh, I feel like simple might be the wrong word for the direction, but like, again, not like, overly showy direction but like for me the performances are again just make it sing like baldwin of course uh jennifer jason lee and the two cops uh fred fred ward Ward and charles napier fred ward also was a producer on the film so like helped it get going and everything like that because believe it or not he may have had more sway than baldwin at this point i don't know that's interesting but like Again, and those performances, uh, the, specifically the two cop performances, I also are more in that sort of mugging territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love uh, the introduction to each of those characters. And I don't know, you just see Fred Ward get more and more decrepit throughout the movie <laughs> and beaten up and just like so damaged. And by the end of it, it's like, did he really even do much? Like he, he could have solved this so easily that's the other kind of farcical thing about this is no one's all that good at what they do you know like uh and i know that's like a common complaint but in this one it really runs through the whole movie rather than like oh that cop is bad or oh he's the worst criminal it's like everyone's pretty dumb in this movie and i feel like it's a cultural critique almost like they're they're Mm -hmm. the people who have experienced the 80s and this is the brain rot they get because of it you know like yeah. baldwin is very sloppy as a criminal jennifer jason lee is working uh as a prostitute for the dude who's the janitor at the hotel it seems like <laughs> <laughs> and it's like she can just dip out of there with no problem whatsoever i guess and then the two cops just keep getting in each other's way or in their own way and you know i i, I really like that as just like like uh, adding to the black comedy of the movie is like the inefficiency of everyone because the movie could be over in 30 minutes, really. Like that mm-hmm. first visit yeah. Fred Ward pays to the house. So as we said, uh, Alec Baldwin gets into town. He kills the Hari Krishna. Also, another note on that. I love that as like an intro to the cynical viewpoint of the movie because it's literally just like, oh, a cold hearted criminal 
kills a man of God, like just right at the beginning of the movie, or a man <laughs> yeah. of spirituality. Yeah. And then and then uh, the cops just keep riffing on it too. Yeah. They're like, "Are you going to tell the next of kin?" And there's the line about like. Oh no, I did it with the fat woman who sat on her son, so that counts as like two. Uh, um, so it's just uh, you immediately like any angle. I mean, save for like the Jennifer Jason Lee character, like you're you're getting cynicism here. Hi. Yeah. Hi there, going home? I'd like to tell you about a book. It's a classic of the Vedic literature, the knowledge of God. Have you seen the movie Gandhi? My name's Ravindra. What's your name? Trouble. And her being the heart of the movie does feel like the Jonathan Demi touch here. Like, that's what he could have really extrapolated from this movie with his dramatic sensibility, I think. Um, and her her character is, you know, a young girl who's been uh, through the ringer so far, been through a lot, and is working, as we said, for the bellhop or janitor as a prostitute, and then just kind of goes along with Baldwin for this ride. Uh whether it's based on like the Bonnie and Clyde type media she saw through uh, the eighties, you know, rehashings of that story, or just the fact that it's a more illustrious lifestyle. She goes along with it. And, you know, by the end, spoiler alert, when Fred Ward uh, kills Alec Baldwin, she still is just like, not, she, she helped give him away, but still she says, that he always ate everything I ever cooked for him and he never hit me. And sometimes like there's characters in movies and you said some came running, Malcolm it makes me think of Ginny and some came running. Sure. Some characters like man or woman just need that. Like they they've been through so much that it's just like, you know, as long as someone's going to be nice enough, not even really yeah, that no. nice, <laughs> just nice enough and not hit them. It's like, all right, that's a life, you know? And yeah, yeah. It, no. it, it's like, you feel a lot of empathy for people because if that's their high watermark, it's like, well, I guess she does have to go through with this shit. You know, if that's all she really can ask for in life. And it is really funny how like, again, this like such like loveless relationship sort of becomes this like, ramshackle like white picket fence how easy they like sort of fall i mean not mm -hmm. fall ass backwards into it but baldwin is able to like steal and sort of like <laughs> stitch together this like very warped quote-unquote straight life like the line towards the tail end that he delivers was like i thought like i was just like i'm getting a little like tired of the straight life i i almost thought i was like an ordinary citizen yeah uh, which is just like so funny in terms of him being just like ridiculous pretending to be a cop essentially yeah. just shooting people yeah that's when he goes like full gta mode yeah <laughs> no i think baldwin and the lee's kind of like character kind of just falling into the suburban lifestyle it kind of just shows like the aimlessness uh, you know of the characters and kind of like the the way the movie starts it, it, there's like a real you know baldwin's breaking here krishna's uh wrists you know he's uh He's talking uh, prices for suck jobs, you know what I mean? He's, he's a real sleazy a guy with, you know, and he doesn't really seem to have any goal in sight. And so, like, it, it seems like there's, like, almost like an objective at the beginning. And then, like, somewhere, like, halfway through, he's just kind of, like, aimlessly going through this life. And kind of, like, the crime stuff seems to be random, you know what I mean? Him even 
you know, the line you're referring to, JT, him trying to stop a stick-up, you know, just for no reason in that he's, you know, he's kind of fallen into the suburban lifestyle and kind of tricked, you know, subconsciously tricked himself into, it's like, oh, I'm living a little bit cleaner. But then he realizes, you know, it's just like, it, it's not quite the case. Yeah, so uh, the life of crime definitely escalates when he finds a gun and starts pretending to be a cop and there's a lot of fun and games to be had there it's very uh yeah grand theft auto like sensibilities even before that when he's just like using a squirt gun uzi and i love the i love the playfulness of him uh the shot that sets it up as if he's robbing the register and then the lady just says Price check, Uzi squirt gun. <laughs> yeah, and just like him him running around town with the Uzi and like getting, you know, whatever he wants with it. And then uh, going back to the hotel and pretending he's Tony Montana with the counting his money with the, the fake gun. Like that, that's almost like kind of uh, the Baldwin character at its most craziest in the movie mm-hmm. at its most like kind of fun just because it's like, oh, it's like, you know, he could go around town and do whatever he wants, you know? And uh, I don't know, like, it, it seems like that the movie's going to stay on that pace throughout the movie, but it, it kind of uh, tonally shifts into something different. And I don't know, I, I, it's kind of, I think the, the the balancing of the tones with, like, you know, the cartoonish violence and kind of, like, uh, the dark comedy, you know, uh, domestic scenes, I think it's a, it's a more delicate balance than people might give it credit for. Also, I think Baldwin is just hilarious in this when he's kind of just being a dick to Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> She's like, she talks about the lake near her hometown. He's like, where's that? That's where I'm from. You heard of Lake Okeechobee? I'm from California. I don't know shit about Florida. You ever heard of Lake Tahoe? Then right after that, when the waitress comes, uh, he's just like, yeah, we're engaged. Separate checks. <laughs> mm-hmm. His, his mugging and line delivery of over-the-top comedy in this is so, so fucking good. And yeah, I, I just think that's like easily the the biggest strength of the movie. There's that scene that's like a, uh, a break in entering when uh, after he helped Jennifer Jason Lee write a haiku for her homework or whatever. And it's like uh, set to him trying to write haikus on the fly while breaking into this house and it's just so stupid but so funny and you could easily see it on the page you know it it feels a concept like that feels very novelistic the way it's just like shifting modes constantly and you could see scenes or chapters having different stylistic approaches and everything and yeah i i think it's a really strong movie any uh, any final thoughts on this one as we wrap up jt um yeah well i mean firing off bullets going four bullets straight uh into alec baldwin's chest um not 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 the not the not the of course this is the alec baldwin innocence project not the real life actor (laughs) i'm speaking strictly the character here what Uh, happens i believe i believe in time just all the information needs to come out um <laughs> but no this is just like a a crazy fun like movie that has like a lot of interesting tonal shifts that i wouldn't necessarily expect going in like getting more of the demi involvement it makes sense that there is like a little bit of like sweet 
tenderness given to the Jennifer Jason Lee character in terms of just like, oh, it's just you just want like she comes on screen and says something. Sometimes it's just like, gee, goddamn, like that's sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It's mixed with a lot of very fun like set pieces that I think are inventive and original and like just sort of are not too showy, but like look beautiful and give the actors a lot of room to breathe with the material. Like one in particular that I don't think we mentioned yet um, that I like. It's for the most part, a, not too wide, but it's like when uh, he has his like eyebrow mm-hmm. like falling off <laughs> and like he's going to have Jennifer Jason Lee sort of sew him up at first there. It's played for the most part in like a wider shot, which is him sort of like flopping over and just trying to like get everything together. And you're, I don't know, it's just, like simple setups like that allow you to see like both like Baldwin's reactions and Lee just sort of scatter to get all the supplies and things ready. And uh, yeah, no, I had a lot of fun. It's a great time. Malcolm, what about you? I'm going to go four bullets. You know, it's kind of funny that uh, the Baldwin character suffers an eyebrow injury with all the facial acting he has to do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He really, he even injures his eyebrow. But uh, just this movie in like kind of it's like, you know, day glow, kind of Miami color palette. It is it's something, you know, obviously that like like Michael Mann, right, with the Miami Vice TV show. That's something like he was saying, like no earth tones, like well, let's keep it very pastel. But, I you know, I think it just it's the color so rich and like, uh, you know, the costuming too you know, matches the, the decor in this movie. And uh, I'm just thinking of like when Baldwin actually gets killed by Fred Ward in the end, like the outfit he's wearing is probably his most ridiculous, you know what I mean? He's kind of uh, Mm -hmm. really fallen in to that Miami lifestyle. And yeah, like I, I love, I love the first 30 minutes of the movie, you know, I love the whole movie, but I like, I love like kind of, you know, the, the wackiness we get at the beginning and kind of uh, Baldwin kind of like, you know, he's, you know, we're talking cartoon characters. I mean, Baldwin's, you know, basically a cartoon character at the beginning of this movie kind of, you know, does what he wants. Like a cartoon can do whatever they want. You know, he does whatever he wants in this movie. He's kind of like a half Tasmanian devil, half Bugs Bunny. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then kind of like the, I feel like the flourishes, like the visual, like the color's still there, but like, I feel like there's just like certain details, like, uh, they're at, what you were talking about when they're at the dinner scene, Eddie, and like he's you know mentions he's he's like yeah I'm from Lake Tahoe, it stinks. But like I, I like at the beginning we get like the synchronized swimmers and like the the pool beginning, and there's like a lot of like savvy flourishes like that. And then as the movie kind of winds, you know, uh, winds into something different, you know, y- you you don't get as much. Uh, um, uh, grandness I guess and it kind of just becomes more gritty and yeah I, I just think it's a super intelligent movie that you know balances its humor with its uh, action stuff and uh, yeah I just I just I thought I'd bring it to the show just because it, it's just a such a light watch such a good time and it, and it, and it delivered so uh, Eddie Eddie what do you think I'm gonna go Three and a half bullets on this one. I also enjoy this film quite a bit. It's the second time I've watched it. Both times I feel like there was just something barely holding it back from being like really great. Like I really liked it and it's very funny and entertaining enough to watch. And 
I can see myself watching it again, you know, and I think that the uh, the visual style, as you guys said, it's like the the camera movements and stuff like that aren't too showy. It's not no crazy one perfect shotism or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it's like the the design of the movie, the the set design and the costumes and the locations and everything all uh, add up to a very interesting visual picture. And uh, yeah, so I I think this is a very strong one. I think uh, Fred Ward is great in it, but Alec Baldwin absolutely steals the show uh, when he shoots the guy and then says stop or i'll shoot you know that's that's great that's one of the funniest things ever the first time i watched the movie i was fucking dying at that um so yeah i'm gonna go three and a half bullets on this one very strong movie we'll be right back on extended clip he always ate everything i ever cooked for him and he never hit me I heard lots of good things about Junior. Stop, Ross, shoot! You just shot me! Fired a warning shot and it hit you. I don't know, I feel like Five Hour Energy is like. They used to advertise it's like. It's perfect for like two in the afternoon when. Okay. Right after I do. lunch. I I understand that. I mean, I feel yeah. like it's at work. I just drink so much coffee. Like, I'll have like. Yeah maybe like four or six like shots of espresso just throughout the day. And then I feel like just, I, I am amped and going then like this point in the day, just, just a little sleepy, but I don't know if I could ever cut out caffeine. I've always oh, yeah. de- or, or like deprived myself of so many other beloved <laughs> substances to, to cut that one out. Just feels, uh, I don't know, a bridge too far. I, I, people who are cutting out caffeine like I, I feel like they must be like fucking up somehow you know what I mean like just drinking way too much and like spazzing at their loved ones or something <laughs> like that you know like because I feel like I drink a lot of caffeine but and it's it's like like I said like you were saying like it'd be pretty hard I don't know if I could you know do working without it you know it's it's, it's pretty tough I don't know mm-hmm. how people you know, I understand, like, people being, like, sober, like, you know, they don't drink, smoke, anything like that, but it's like, you're not drinking coffee, you're not having, yeah. like... You're not having a, a soda? A soda pop? Like, what it's the like, fuck is wrong with you? It's like, yeah. come on, man. I guess maybe maybe if you're not drinking and smoking, maybe you have less of a need for coffee, I don't know, maybe it's something like that, but... But, I mean, even yeah. still, it's yeah. like, at that point, it's just like, you, you need a little excitement in your <laughs> life. You're having, like, water and a glass of milk? Like, come on. <laughs> Maybe for some people, it's kind of like the final frontier. They're like, I'm so healthy and holistic. It's like, I might as well defeat this. You know, it's like a challenge mm. for them. I don't know. I, I can't I can't claim to know that perspective, to be no, honest. No, same, same. <laughs> I, I can't quite know that perspective either. I'm trying to see. I'm looking at Eddie's beverage. Um, it is it just water? It like a chocolate milk. Yeah, that's what I it's thought. A, it's a, <laughs> it's a coffee. coffee. It's coffee. Oh, oh like iced coffee in a, in a mm-hmm. cup? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Choc- <laughs> oh, like Eddie. iced coffee in a cup? <laughs> <laughs> you compared to drinking hot, chocolate milk? <laughs> compared to hot coffee, coffee in a mug. Um, yeah. True. Thought, <laughs> hey, look, we've been known to drink cold beverages from a mug on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oval. I thought Eddie just made some Ovaltine real quick. You know what I mean? Got a, a little little spoonful of Ovaltine and mixed it in the milk. Why don't they call it Malcolm Teen? Yeah. Uh, uh. 
Were you talking? Were you guys talking about going uh, going edge? Going uh, caffeine sober. Yeah. <laughs> it seems it seems like a, a tough pill to swallow for me. No, yeah. I could never do that, dude. Yeah. I I like I I have times where I really need to cut back, and even just cutting back makes me have withdrawals like crazy. So you know, it's like whatever. Now I'm at the point where it's like I try not to have too much. I'll wake up and have a Celsius or whatever, or a bunch of coffee, whatever. I'll have my morning caffeine and then. Try to limit myself to just like a soda and another cup of coffee. I know that sounds crazy, but <laughs> that's very little caffeine for me. <laughs> I'm completely at the mercy of you know. I need something bring me up, something to bring me down. You know what I mean? It's just it's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Ride the Malcomian wave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lifestyle stuff. That's the Malcomian philosophy right there. Just ride the wave. <laughs> just ride the wave. I mean, you know. Santa Cruz, you know, I got a Santa Cruz area code. I know all about surfing and skating. But soon you'll learn about vertical integration and you'll find out that you'll find out that Stizzy and Celsius have been collabing for years to bank to just rob you blind. I'll, 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 I'm willing to accept that. That's that's not it's a like the truth. inherent vice. Exactly. Golden Fang conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for Stizzy energy drink. That's going to be like energy drinks with like THC in them and like, you know, just real just mind like, warpers. Oh. That, that's why people would just like lace blunts with PCP. Like that's yeah. you're, getting into, you're getting into some scary territory there. I, I say leave it alone. You Sprinkle know, the, me. Uh, that's what the they old, the old hippie speedball of coffee and weed is about as far as I'll ever go with drugs. That's uh you know, anything beyond that, you're asking for it. You're truly like at the funeral. People are going to say he asked for it. That is the fear. Doing hard drugs is the fear. It's like if you die from hard drugs, people are be like, "Oh, I guess that guy was a drug user, huh? Big mm-hmm. drug guy." You know, so that's a, that's a risk. Yeah, when I was a young kid, uh, one time I got uh, high off of cough syrup. And I had like a Chick-fil-A like while doing it, which apparently you're supposed to not eat. And I was like, especially Chick-fil-A. Like, uh, I mean, well, like I, it's just just painting an image here. Um, and I was like outside, like on a friend's deck, like smoking a cigarette. And I like my whole body just like felt like hot, like just like awful. Like I was dizzy and I was just like the most like I I like if this is gonna harm me dangerously, I would rather be dead than like be alive. And my parents know this is what happened to me. Like just it's the the drug addict shame. I just don't want I, I don't want them to know if I I mean I just threw up Chick fil A and I was fine. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna say, right? What? You were asking for it. I was asking for oh. it. They were saying yeah. <laughs> Cough syrup, especially, is a pretty shameful drug to die of. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's obviously it's, it's probably worse than like heroin. You know, it's like at least heroin. Yeah. It's like at least you're doing something, right? It's like cough syrup's <laughs> like you just get a, a tummy ache and you go to sleep or something like that. Like I don't, it's I don't know. The folly of youth. The folly of youth. <laughs> I'm just picturing someone at a rally holding up a sign of just like a bunch of people using drugs like pictures of people using drugs that says were they asking for it (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know eddie was so so shame you know (laughs) such an addict shamer you know what i mean but uh that's something to keep in mind Mm -hmm. 
There's only one addiction that I approve of, and it's listening to extended clip. I thought you were going to say the, like, the cinema, the silver screen, but no, you're no. right. Podcast addiction, even by you. How are you as an adult man going to be addicted to a silver screen? That is childish right there. Cinephile? Now, you're a what? Yeah, exactly. That's... Look, I know what that iPhone autocorrect switching it to, and I, I, ain't, I ain't have a problem with it either. But hey, being a grown man, being addicted to listening to three other grown men talk about their addictions to the silver screen, it's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal at four ninety nine a month. No. Not a bad deal. Patreon.com slash extended underscore clip. We're back. Uh, it is Malcolm in the middle. Malcolm. Aside from your intravenous drug use, how is life treating you? Uh, it's it's treating me really well, and you know it found me uh, at the multi <laughs> at the multiplex. You know, in the, uh, we love Malcolm in the Middle, but at, everyone's favorite segment is Malcolm's multiplex minute, of course. Of and, course. Uh, I went to go see The Beekeeper, David Ayer's latest, Jason Statham's latest. And uh, in this movie, we have uh, Jason Statham, a beekeeper, you know, uh, quite literal. You know, he hangs with bees, extracts honey, you know, from the hives and whatnot. Okay. And uh, <laughs> vegan alert. <laughs> yeah, vegan alert. A lot of hive scenes, a lot of honey extraction. A lot, a lot of, of bees being uh, forced to labor against their will. And yeah. you know what that's called. <laughs> Lots of stirring of honey. Um there is actually for the vegan alert. There is there is a scene where uh, a bunch of beehives are shot up with machine guns. So that is that is a that is a warning to the vegans out there. But uh, woman, he he makes his honey on this farm owned by this woman who's placed by Felicia Rashad, who's scammed by uh, these like these people in a call center who are just looking for old people to to scam, and they somehow extract all the money out of their bank account. Uh, I, you know, I, I guess that happens. And then, so Jason, Oh, it happens. All right. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, this is a movie about that awareness. And so the, the lady, you know, she ran a charity too, that they took money out of. So she was feeling pretty shameful. So she kills herself and Statham, uh, you know, he's not just a beekeeper. He's like ex- there's like a fake CIA called like the beekeepers that he's a part of or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and the best thing about this movie is kind of the constant dedication to the beekeeper theme and all the, the, the bee lines, you know, the talking about bees, you know, uh, you know, they're asking them, you know, when Statham goes to the call centers to, you know, set it on fire and beat up these guys to be an American terrorist, basically. You know, they ask him, why, why are you doing this? And he's saying, like, I'm a beekeeper. I need to protect my hive. Uh, and to be honest, it, 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 it's just it's one of those action movies that, it, you know, it's doesn't look the greatest. You know, some of the like when you think about it, it just becomes more and more convoluted. You know what I mean? But it does have uh, a good uh, Hunter Biden stand in who's kind of running these call centers. And uh, so basically Statham goes all the way up and to the president or whatever and kills hunter biden for running these scam call centers and you know what i i found it pretty enjoyable i, f- I found it uh you know nothing great but i I'm, i am a big statham head and he kind of gets to be stoic and kind of i don't know they're not giving him too much like 
sitcom dialogue that's for like the people on the periphery i don't know for a january movie it, it got the job done i enjoyed the beekeeper yeah i was gonna say january slop multiplex malcolm is a lot more forgiving than like a award season late fall multiplex malcolm right i mean abs- absolutely and but it's it's also the tone that these movies carry themselves with. exactly you know what it's I mean? what you're even going for yeah yeah because uh, like i was gonna say like a movie like this a three-star movie like this is like that feels good coming out. It's like I right, saw some January slop that was actually pretty good, but then when you're going in November for all the acclaimed stuff, it's like really it was only three. All right, whatever. No, totally. And to be honest, like I've seen I've seen some Statham. I've seen some January slop that just like straight out sucks. Like you can't yeah. have fun with it. It's just not poorly made. This is at least inventive. You know what I mean? It's fun with like. It's kind of like tech scammers, tech scammers. It goes after, you know, some easy targets and, uh, but it's still kind of a little, it's a little bit more wild than like your average action movie. Like it's kind of like implications that like the CIA, FBI and the president are teaming up to fuck you over or something. So, uh, yeah, you know, and I, I think I, I, I do love, I love Statham. I, I feel like, uh, much like Neeson, I will roll out to at least, one Statham or Neeson movie a year. So I'm glad I, I don't, I don't know what else he has on his docket, but I'm glad uh, this one was good. Yeah. Are people saying that the beekeeper is this year's Marlowe? Marlowe too. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, cause Marlowe's like kind of boring, you know what yeah, I mean? Course, like that's kind of the appeal. Finally he admits it. <laughs> this was a, an uh, erroneous comparison. I just wanted to just wanted to stoke it's, some fire a little bit. Your erroneousness lately has been just straight up unbecoming. <laughs> it's definitely I mean, it's definitely on the leaderboard as as of now, as it being the only twenty tour twenty four movie I've seen. It is number one on the Marlowe leaderboard. We'll see if someone overtakes Marlowe leaderboard. The Mar the Marlowe of the year leaderboard. The Marlowe coaches poll. <laughs> yeah, the Marlo I was hoping Marlowe would make it to the Oscars through uh, yeah the director's poll. You know what I mean? Or however that works, but uh, uh, alas. Yeah, I was looking at the coaches poll after the bowl games, so and I was like, weirdly, Marlowe had one first place vote. I don't really know how that works. Marlo. <laughs> yeah, Marlo for Heisman. You know, it's yeah. a. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, um, <laughs> JT, you see anything good lately? Uh, yes. I um, I don't know. I mentioned on our best of last year, um, or maybe our year end wrap up. I don't know. Some fucking episode of the show. Going forward into the new year, I want to watch uh, less American movies. But I also want to watch more silent movies this year, too. I don't know. Just go back and, uh, and not for any weird, unbecoming reasons that a lot of people uh, are logging them on Letterboxd for. There's a lot of suspicious characters. Really? In the silent movies? Yeah. They- silent movie Letterboxd has some sus creeps. What's going on? It's weird. I don't know. If you if you look into this DW Griffith character, ah, you well. might he's there's some nonsense that he was all about. I cannot I do not agree with that. But a totally cool guy who definitely maybe didn't kill his first wife, uh Fritz Lang, an old friend of ours. I, I checked out his uh, movie from 1928 Spies. I had been meaning to check this one out uh, for a while now. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think we've talked about him before in the sense that he definitely is like one of the early kind of like action exciting like filmmakers. And there are definitely some fun like chases and it's like about espionage, obviously spies in the title. That's like it's a lot to live up to. Um, and it was pretty great. Uh, definitely one of the um, better like Lang silent stuff, which I feel like at this point now I've seen a fair amount like before this a uh, few weeks ago. I watched uh, Destiny, which that one is oh. uh, like death comes into this town and buys up like this cemetery and uh, takes this woman's husband. And then there are like three different historical like scenarios that she is like planted into and has to try and like save her husband from dying and like three different things. So like the nesting story of Destiny was really cool. But I definitely liked, um, I don't know, more of the action and spy intrigue of spies. And there is one, like, ultimate, like, I don't know, there's sometimes where you watch, like, an old-ass movie, like, especially something, like, I'd say anywhere from the 20s to 40s, where, like, in my mind, I have, like, a conception of, like, the past where it's just, like, there's, like, a guy... Um, I don't know, at the malt shop, like that kind of yeah. version of history. Ham um, salad sandwich, 10 yeah, cents. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and in Spies, there's a point where this guy is trying to get information uh, from this little boy. And the little boy is like, yeah, sure, mister. I'll give you the information for a price. And then he like holds out like his hand, like cups his hands. And then he the guy gives him some money for, for, the, for the juice. And then the boy bites the quarter to make sure it's good and then does a backflip afterwards too. And that is like, just that's, that's what 1920 was all about for me. Just like oh moments like that. Biting a coin to make sure it's real is something that like, that even seems like 1800s. Like, how are you still doing that in the twenties? Like we already had a world war yeah. and you're still biting coins to make sure they're good. Come on, that's why that fucking German economy fell apart. I'm still doing uh, that today. You got to be wary now. (laughs) There's a recession on our hands. You got to bite every coin you get. The taste from it is kind of like stone soup. (laughs) You know, you ever have stone soup? Kind of like the the little taste of a quarter will kind of uh, keep you uh, hold you over to the next meal. Now that you think about it, yeah, like uh, there's all those images of you know uh, the economic turmoil in Germany and Weimar Germany, people like burning dollar bills to stay warm at home and stuff like that they weren't bu- burning the coins they were eating them that was their meal <laughs> they, were, they were chewing just coins yeah, no, like like just dollar bill that's like a salad that's nothing you're not going to be full off of <laughs> just eating a bunch of dollars but the coins that's where the protein is libertarians obsessed with gold like we shouldn't do money it should be gold that that's the best argument it's like money's too light it's like not substantive it you know it won't fill you up like a piece of gold would. <laughs> i do think about like uh the family guy episode where peter eats all those nickels and then becomes blind like that was like a that was kind of a warning to me as a child uh but also like now that i think about it what would be worse eating a bunch of nickels until you have like some sort of weird chemical deficiency or eating money off the street like street money like like you're gonna die of like an autoimmune disorder if you eat money off the street like dollar bills you eat a nice crumpled one 
that's you're getting sick instantly. I would say probably the 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 amount and types of like eating over the last like four or five episodes from just constantly talking to fast food to the last time talking about eating trash. Now we're eating coins, <laughs> coins and dollar bills off the streets. <laughs> These boys are I mean, just considering it, pondering the idea. <laughs> Let's make this clear. I am not advocating for anyone to eat coins or dollar bills. I just think that the health repercussions might be worse yeah. for the dollar bills or better for the coins. You know, true, true. coins are more sustainable. Yeah. Uh, update on the hamburger journey. Um, so I went to a place around the corner last night. I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to spend 10 bucks on a fucking hamburger. Not to dox you, but where? Uh, uh, Sonny's Famous uh, Burgers and Cheesesteaks. Okay, I've never been. They were out of burgers. Oh, shit. <laughs> I had to eat a fucking bullshit cheesesteak. <laughs> Oh, the cheese! That's the Philly McDonald's <laughs> stick. Like I'm I saying, I know. Um, I hate you, Malcolm. I was thinking about that when he told me that. I was like, should I just fucking go to McDonald's? So that I, as Malcolm pops in my head, he's like, hey, you gotta stop eating the Big Mac. Start eating the cheese steaks. Yeah, exactly, man. That's your new. That's new, your new McDonald's, man. The bodega. So, well, <laughs> the bodega deli. <laughs> So I ate a bad cheesesteak last night. We're gonna, we, since I moved to Philadelphia, I've probably eaten nine cheesesteaks, and I would say seven of them have been just dog shit. Just absolutely awful. Like, why do people prefer those to a hamburger? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I even prefer a roast pork sandwich. Like, the roast pork sandwiches, a little broccoli rob mm. in there. That's fucking good. Bro- see, bro- broccoli, not a fan. Rob Franco, one of my best friends. <laughs> So broccoli rob, uh, yeah. maybe it's not that bad. Out, yeah. <laughs> you went in uh, Newman mode, but the broccoli. You're like, I don't like the sound of that. I don't. I don't like hearing that word. <laughs> Even hearing that word, I got to declare, eh, not a fan. I, not a fan of. Broccoli. I will say, I've made a lot of progress in my broccoli consumption over the over the last year or two. It's become. It's become tolerable, uh, even good in certain uh, stir fries and things like that. But <laughs> you hand me a plate of just straight up boiled. Like steamed broccoli, I, I'm, I'm wretched. Like that is disgusting. I don't think. I mean, aside from like maybe like a '50s mom, I don't know who's preparing just like plain unseasoned broccoli. I think my mom is from the '50s. Then uh, I mean, uh, fair yeah, I, was gonna, I was gonna say, growing up, like you just you know, parents little frozen vegetables with like you know some meat. Yeah. You know, they're That's like, oh, right you got to eat your veggies, so. and it's just plain broccoli. Just like, <laughs> as a kid, that was this like podcast of traumatic <laughs> for yeah. me. Like, I get what it's like. You know, some kids they talk about like, uh, you know, when I was young, my parents were like, kind of abusive or whatever. It's like, look, I didn't go through that, but my mom made me eat broccoli. <laughs> like, some nights it was spaghetti, this, but some nights it was broccoli. <laughs> this podcast is from the perspective of three adults who are still mad that they have to eat vegetables. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I will say I that's, like that's, eating vegetables. <laughs> I don't like broccoli. No, me I too. don't like broccoli. That's it. No, it's just yeah. broccoli. It's not my thing. But as I said, I've made a lot of progress. I like broccoli in a stir fry. You know, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. No, broccoli's you know? good. I just like uh, evoking the childhood, uh, you know, vegetable rivalry. You know what I mean? I, I think we still have, even if we're eating vegetables, we still have a little bit 
of that in us. Yeah. Yeah. I remember trying to convince my teacher at school that I was allergic to broccoli, like in first grade, because they were serving it <laughs> at the cafeteria. And I literally like retched, like I was so grossed out that I like almost barfed. My teacher was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, oh, I'm actually allergic to broccoli. I'm allergic to broccoli. You need to bring in a McDouble, please. <laughs> they didn't have McDoubles back then. Thank you very much. That would have been the double cheeseburger, and I would have loved that. <laughs> Little McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> Look, some of our some of our fucking Gen Z listeners have only had the McDouble. They weren't around for the classic double cheeseburger for a dollar. You know, that was uh, that was the land before time. That was like a you know, as we said, a ham salad sandwich for a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the grossest thing ever. That was in uh, oh, dude, no, sweet smell of success. I think it was. Uh, oh no, sweet smell of success. The diner in that one has cream cheese sandwiches for five cents uh, uh which just cream cheese and bread is i guess a sandwich yeah, in that world uh, but i remember it was uh, they live by night the diner they go to there they're like all we got is ham salad <laughs> that's that's, Dude, that's the woke too I, i'm not eating any ham eating no. 1940s ham salad pre-made sandwiches like <laughs> That's that's worse than eating a dollar bill off the street in 2024. <laughs> yeah, if you give me like an option, a ham salad sandwich, or just suck on a quarter for you know substance, like a, like a hard candy. Malcolm's gonna be the fucking George Washington throat goat. <laughs> You, you gotta. You, you don't eat coins. Just like cut like up candy. teeth, just like <laughs> spitting out change. <laughs> You're like, oh, it'll be five twenty-five. Oh, I think I Money. got the change. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm just chewing cud like a llama, but it's money. <laughs> they call they call me Money Malcolm for a reason. It's true. I'm made of it. I'm it is true. It. You are made of it. Uh, I also watched some movies this week as we push forward through this segment and stop talking about eating money. <laughs> It is something that's sticking with me. Yeah. I just well, it's like sucking on. I've coins. been thinking about this too because it's like I'm so low on money. I'm so hungry all the time. What if I could just eat the money? And then I realize, wait, no, that's like double negative. You know, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but that's how twisted my mind is right now. Well, I think a quarter could probably you could probably swallow it and then. Shit it out whole. And yeah, use is it. that worth? Is that like twenty five cents worth of caloric intake, though? You know, <laughs> just like eating a bag of change and shitting it out like a slot machine. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 if you're in a pinch, it's not the best option. But if you're in a pinch, oh, you'll be pinching all right. <laughs> Just using like the quarter on a string, but for eating. <laughs> Not this again. You eat the quarter on a string now. <laughs> That's like a saw trap. That's horrifying. God damn it! I can't. This is all I can talk about now. <laughs> You're going to design like a scary maze at Universal Horror Nights where it's the quarter on a string t trick and it's coming out of people's throats. It's how bad the economy is. It is how bad the economy is. <laughs> um, 
I watched a movie called Hell Drivers yesterday, which is a 1957 Ooh. British movie by Cy Enfield. Uh, Cy Enfield, you would recognize the name, of course, as being one of the uh, the blacklisted directors during the HUAC investigations, and then went to England and, uh, as Armand White said, renounced his Marxism, which I don't think ever actually <laughs> happened. I think Armand White just wanted an excuse to like this movie, uh, because the movie is very clearly the work of someone who would have been blacklisted and had communist views, or at least uh, pro-labor and pro-working class views. So, so it's a film about a guy who gets a job doing truck delivery routes, but his boss is just like encouraging him to cut corners and speed and just do all this crazy shit. And like all these guys, uh, you know, are making these mathematically impossible runs because they're just, you know, cutting across corners and running shit over and speeding all the time and, you know, not using their brakes and stuff like that. And it's a, it's a very like high octane, extreme driving setup that this guy wanders into. Uh, and so he's a good enough driver to do it and he, he gets better as it goes and you have some really, really fun driving sequences of that. And, you know, he has like a, a romantic interest that works at like the truck depot, I guess. Uh, and then eventually it turns into a story about him and the other truck drivers being underpaid and him being like, uh, the guy who confronts the big boss about it. And, uh, you know, his, his final resolution is just like, Hey, you're going to give us our money this time. And I guess we're still going to do these illegal truck routes maybe. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a fun movie. It's not great. It's like, there's definitely some zone out moments in it. And uh, if you don't have a good ear for British dialogue, there's definitely going to be some zone out moments because it's a unfathomably British movie um, full of just like all these British character actors who were all popular at the time and pretty much all look the same to me, uh, except Sean Connery. When Sean Connery pops up, you're like, okay, well, I know who that is. Uh, so yeah, a young cons coming through. Whoa, pretty that's sick weird. In this. Yeah. God, he almost, he has like a young version of the voice. It's weird. Uh, but regardless, it's a, it's a very fun movie. And I, I, I will just say that like, even if it's not great overall, the action sequences are top flight. Like literally some of the very best driving scenes I've ever seen from the 1950s. Like, especially for its era, it's uh very ahead of its time and very like uh it uses a lot of sped up footage a little bit, uh, but also I hate to say this, just as an American, the cognitive the cognitive dissonance of all these point of view shots of driving on the wrong side of the road add an extra level of intensity. <laughs> like I always think that it, every car that's coming up is about to be a head-on collision because of those <laughs> point of view shots, and it's so fast, and I'm so used to the right side being the correct side uh so anyway hell drivers is a good movie and you should check it out i believe uh actually when we did secret ceremony on the pod with owen klein a while back i was talking to him just about other british productions from the mid-century and he recommended me that one so shout out to owen klein for the uh the wreck on that one i'm surprised the plight of the trucker has been so long they re they really seem to get the short end of yeah. the stick the, like the trucks back then are sick too because they're just like pickup trucks the, the type of trucks you see in old uh, military movies that are just like 
pickup trucks with like a, a flappy hood on the back, you know? And so transporting all that cargo in those trucks, taking sharp turns and stuff is like so sick. But yes, the truck driver is the most tortured soul there is. There is a, a good country singer, Dave Dudley, who's like the trucker's poet. I mean, I don't know if I don't think that's his nickname, but he has a lot of truck driving songs. There's one, a great, great tune. Uh, Roll Aids, Dones Pills, and Preparation H, which is just like all about just like uh, having to stay awake, having a sore back, and having a sore ass, and just uh, surviving regardless. That the is light of the trucker. That is amazing. <laughs> and you know, truckers are the biggest podcast listeners. You have to imagine. Absolutely, so we're talking yeah. about podcast addiction. You know, they're they're on the right path there. Hey. They got the. You know. If there's any truckers out there listening right now, you know, I uh, uh, imagine I'm a little kid on the side of the road yeah, uh, making the honk hor- one the honking us. motion. <laughs> like, please, because that that would be nice. Uh, <laughs> that was a nice honk for extended clip. Honk if you're clippy tonight. <laughs> Send that in. If there's any, tr- you know, if there's any truckers listening to extended clip, honk your horn for us. Send it in. I mean, we want that's honestly, even if you're delivering shit in like an Amazon van, that works, too. That's fine. You know, if you're just in one of those conversion vans or whatever, (laughs) like even even the little six seater, like as long as you're a, you know, if you're driving an Uber right now. I was going to say, it has to be bigger than a normal car. That's all I'm, I'm driving asking. an Can't, Uber like, XL. <laughs> it has to be as there long as it's the type of van that has the running board on the side for like Amazon delivery guys and stuff like that. If you're listening to this in one of those, give us a nice honk. <laughs> also, if you donate to the Patreon, uh, I'll give you a, a five cent a month discount if you're a trucker. I will. I will personally <laughs> PayPal you five cents every month if you're a bo- if you're a listener and uh, are donating at that level. An extra nickel to suck on, you know. That, that's <laughs> the, it's a long that's haul. That's not nothing. And, it's not nothing. You know, I'm telling you, if you're being strategic, cough drops they might make you have to go pee. There's so much liquid in them. You know, you're you're creating so much liquid. But a, a nickel, nickel, a nickel, you're not gonna have to pull over anytime soon. An old trucker yeah. trick my uncle taught me. Keep a nickel in your mouth. <laughs> Look, cough drops, they're going to sound all smooth. That doesn't sound like a working class trucker. You need to suck on a nickel. Get that nice raspy voice going. So anyway, as I said, uh, donate at the Patreon to get an extra episode every single week. Uh, this past week's bonus episode was on James Gray's We Own the Night. And the next bonus episode is going to be selected by JT, who does he have a selection? I do have the selection. Next bonus is going to be uh, Dominic Graff's The Cat. Let's fucking go. Ooh. He called his shot. And he fulfilled his promise a week later. It's the year of the graph. So, uh, yeah, check out the Patreon for those. $15 a month, you get to select an episode topic. That is right, the executive producer tier. And we have a couple of those coming up. Join the club. It's the most exclusive club, but we're trying to make it less exclusive. (laughs) Uh, All right. Bye, everybody. Radio's on. Feeling all right. Get through the night, toot on your horn, 
your price Honk if you're lonely tonight I know a honky-tonk where we can go A booth in the back with the lights way down low The jukebox is playing a sad melody For heartbroken lovers just like you